Welcome. Welcome to the AV Forums Podcast Extra, presented by Phil Hinton. And joining me on the Podcast Extra tonight is uh, Chris McAnini and Steve Weathers. Good evening, guys. Good evening. Evening, Phil. And, oh, yes, uh, Miss Moneypenny. Right, so uh, really, the Podcast Extra, it, you know, it should be about uh, forum news and uh, new equipment and all the rest of it. This really should be going in the movies podcast. But to be honest, we're just so excited to have our box sets this week. Uh, that's the 50, 50th anniversary, 22 films for 90 quid. It's a complete and utter bargain. Um, so we're going to do Bond, James Bond. Uh, and I've got a feeling that getting a, getting a word in edgeways tonight is going to be pretty difficult. Um, so bear with us. <laughs> A <laughs> battle between the pair of us, I suspect. Yeah, uh, well, Battle Royale, Casino Royale. Um, so let's kick it off. Uh, James Bond, it's now on Blu-ray. Like I say, 22 discs, 90 quid. We all got our box sets. Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to look at any of the films yet. But i got to say, the packaging is really quite nice. And uh, I like the book idea with the years. And, of course, there's the, uh, the space there for Skyfall when it finally comes to disc next year. So um, first impressions, guys. Well, as you said, Phil, it's it, you know it's a beautiful package, and at ninety quid, it is an absolute bargain. Twenty-two movies for ninety quid, and not just that, twenty-two great films, twenty-two Bond films for ninety quid with all the extras, well, pretty much all the extras they were previously released. Great films, um, and, and a few sort of kills in there, mate. Don't forget. Oh, octopuses in there too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, for 90 quid, you can't go wrong, can you? I mean, they're literally pr- practically giving it away. Uh, so uh, I think, you know, if you're a fan of Bond, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> it's pretty much a no-brainer all around. If you're a lover of cinema, this is one of the most influential film series and franchises that has ever been. Um, the creativity and art, production art, and the whole style of Bond, it's a cultural, you know, icon. You know, you, you should have this in your collection, no matter what. And everyone's got their favourite Bond. Everyone's got their favourite Bond movie. And it's all in here. You've got the whole lot for a ridiculously cheap price. And as you say, Phil, it's a gorgeous-looking uh, box set. The, the book design for the, uh, the two periods of, of movies is, is a lovely, uh, very sort of plush, high-quality, high high-class sort of look to it. The actual covering box itself is sturdy as hell. And uh, the imagery on the front, all the Bonds standing in the line, tuxedoed up to hell and back. Absolutely awesome. Uh, the disc layout inside, two discs per page. And you know the discs slip in nice and easily. Um, no one is shaken or stared. Oh, I could have used that line somewhere else, but <laughs> I couldn't resist. Uh, who amongst you like looked at the, um, the little cardboard insert for Skyfall and thought, I wonder, is it the disc? Oh, no, it is just cardboard. And um, you have a bonus disc as well. I don't know if you guys have checked that out, but that's about the only disappointment that's with this box set because uh, it's, well, it, it's lousy. I've got to be honest. Um, you have Being Bond. All six actors who have played the legendary 007 are brought together through fascinating and revealing interviews. Really? It lasts for three minutes. Huh? Three minutes of archival stuff that you've seen before on all the other discs. That's 30 seconds per Bond, then. Pretty much. That's... <laughs> Poor, isn't it? That's really poor. Urinal poor, I should say. And designing 007, 50 years of Bond style. A unique showcase of key moments. I can't, I'm talking like Sean Connery there. A unique showcase of key moments in Bond history. No, oh, that sounds more like John, John Street Porter. Um, this is just like gadgets, girls, 
locations, that sort of thing that you've seen on these discs before. And again, nothing lasts more than about two minutes. There's nothing there especially worthwhile. You also have um, some video blogs of Skyfall. This is just press junket stuff. There's nothing there to see, really. Bit of costume design talk. Woo. Nothing great about that. And you have a montage. Perhaps the best thing about it, really, if you're a fan of the... Uh, you know, the, the opening title sequences, which we all are, the fabulous uh, graphics, the wonderful title songs. Well, there's a big montage of them all lumped together. Runs for it, I think it's over an hour, to be honest. Um, so that's that's your lengthiest feature on it. And they all run together, and, and they've got the opening credits as well. You know, so you've got all the names and stuff, so which is quite a nice little touch. But that's about the only thing of, of value on that bonus disc. Anyway, so shunt that to one side. 22 movies of, you know, pure macho male fantasy, uh, <laughs> which we all adore. You know, even the uh, the NAF ones have a certain charm to them. I don't know if we're going to go through these film by film. Well, but, first, you know. of, first of all, Chris, what I was going to say is, you know, 90 quid, 22 films, what's the catch? Um, and my initial thoughts when, when this was announced, and it was announced at CES, um, I think it was one of those stories that we thought, oh, yeah, get in. And then when we had the price, it was like, get in even further and then <laughs> since then the worry has been well you know are these going to be uh remasters are they are they going to work on these are some of them going to have dnr on them um we've seen the dvds from which were the the lowry transfers is it going to be the same thing so why don't you start chris by, by telling us how does it look first of all i've not seen all the movies in this set i've seen a good smattering of them, shall we say, and I'll discuss them uh, more in depth. What I've seen so far primarily looks fantastic, looks and sounds fantastic. Um, a lot of people have been moaning about the, the lack of mono sound. Well, the mono sound appears to be on these, but whether it's the original mono sound or not, I don't know. There's some glitches with OHMSS and You Only Live Twice, where they've added sound effects and things or muted out other bits to bring the music to the fore. I've watched both of those movies. I think they, they sound tremendous. Uh, the cat's meow at the start of um, You Only Live Twice. Yeah, that's all there. Shrieking, giving it loads. You Only Live Twice. I mean, diamonds are forever. Sorry. Uh, I wish I myself the safe cracking scene. I didn't notice anything weird about that, and I should have been looking out for it. It's a film I love most of all, and I didn't notice anything weird. But you've got the mono track as well, so obviously purists can do uh, their mix and match and compare and contrast. Looks-wise... I wish MSS, again, my favourite. There's a bit of contrast boosting on that. It's certainly more vibrant than I've ever seen it before. But, my God, it looks awesome. Um, you've got filmic texture to it. It's not DNR'd. It looks tremendous. Uh, I was really blown away by that. It was a really engrossing, fully immersive uh, sound design to it as well. Very bass-heavy. Lots of stuff going on there. Really, really enthralled by that. Uh, I've looked at... So, yeah, so no DNR on that one. Um, sounds is tremendous. What else have I looked at? I've looked at the two Dalton ones. Uh, Living Daylights was a brand new one for Blu-ray. Uh, look, that looks pretty good. I was quite impressed by that. Again, reasonable sound design on it. These are all DTS, HDMA, 5.1 mixes. Um, yeah, look good. License to Kill's been out before. That's been on an American Blu-ray release, wasn't it? Um, I got that a while ago and didn't look at it, believe it or not, because I stupidly thought, I don't like License to Kill. That's the one I didn't like when it first came out. Well, what an idiot, because I've watched it again now and absolutely adored the movie. I thought it was tremendous. Um, and yeah, it looks great. And again, sounds great. The sound mixes are really good on, on all these that I've seen so far. I've seen You Only Live Twice as well. 
yeah, that looks great. Sounds great. Music comes through really, really good. The little Nelly sequence is uh, really good stuff. What else have I seen? There's so many. I checked out Casino Royale to make sure that for the first time in the UK we were getting the full uncut one. Yes, we are. We have the, uh, the little homoerotic taunt <laughs> at the end. You know, as he drapes the very phallic you know, rope over Bond's naked shoulder and says something like, uh, wow, well, you take care of your you, body, don't you? You take good care of your body. Such a shame. <laughs> or something like that. Obviously, I don't pay too much attention to that bit. <clears throat> uh, what else have I looked at? Spy Love Me. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, now that look, that looks tremendous. Really does. There's one or two shots which look a bit soft. Um, there's one which me and Steve were talking about a bit earlier, where it has, um, it's not an effect shot at all. It's just, it goes from, you know, the shot is Bond and um, Anya being shown the model of Stromberg's super tanker, which gobbles up all the, the submarines. Uh, and it just put literally about 10 seconds shot where it, it suddenly goes from high def glory to, oh, that looks really crap. That looks really um, faded, blared, soft, and ugh. And then it goes back to normal again. Now, maybe it's inherent to the original um, film stock, the original photography. I don't know. I haven't gone back and checked. But it, I did notice it. But the rest of it looks absolutely glorious. And today I had a quick look at uh, Diamonds Are Forever, which is you know one of the least regarded of the, uh, the series and not a particularly good swan song for Connery um, in the official franchise anyway. Uh, and that looked pretty good as well, I have to say. Uh, there was a one or two shots where I went up close to the screen and thought, is that DNR or what? Is this just part of the way it used to look? I can't quite remember. I've not had a chance to go back and you know check these and compare them to the previous releases. You have to remember that these all, even with any traces of DNR, do look a lot better than you've ever seen them before. And they certainly sound phenomenal as well. Um, you come up to GoldenEye, and this appears to be the, the one that people are going, having problems with because uh, there is definitely DNR on that one. There's no mistake in it. Um, I've had a look at that. I didn't watch the whole film, um, although I kind of wish I had done that because, again, it's one of those that I'm not, I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but I saw it, <laughs> quite enjoyed what I saw of it this time. I thought, oh, it's, it's got a lot to it, this. But, yeah, you've got the dreaded waxy faces and the lack of uh, texture and finite detail. But there are moments where you think, oh, God, no, this, this looks great because it's clean, it's vibrant, you know, it's colourful. And it's one of those, where's your threshold life with DNR? Some people don't mind it. Some people, you know, really abhor even the faintest trace of it. We all know that as a tool, it's quite valid and very important in, in, so, in some, you know, high-def um, transfers. But, you know, it's got to be used properly. And I think most people are going to be pretty okay with the way GoldenEye looks. It certainly is the worst of the bunch that I've seen so far. I haven't looked at the other um, Brosnan ones as yet, but I do believe that they look far better. Uh, but sound-wise, GoldenEye sounded, sounded okay. Actually, what else have I looked at? Oh, A View to a Kill as well. I don't even know why I put that, that one on. That was the first day. The day I got mine, I watched OHMSS. I watched Spy Love Me twice, believe it or not. Um, I'm sure I watched another one as well. But at the end of the day, just because I couldn't resist, I'll put another one on. Oh, what should I get? I'll just, I mixed up the two, the two books of all the discs. I'll go for that one, opened it up. Which is it? Is it the old movies? Is it new movies? And it was the newer ones. And lo and behold, no, not the newer ones. <laughs> it was a new, years old. It is the newer ones. I mean, the newer, the newer box. And uh, View to a Kill went on. A film again, I thought, oh, this is going to be awful. And do you know what? I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it looks, looks great. Uh, 
comparatively to what it used to. Again, lots of color. Uh, there's, there's detail there that you've never seen before. Yeah, looks great, sounds great. So by and large, from what I've seen, they're quite impressive. It's what you want. They are the Lowry restorations. Um, there may be a few issues with some of the little sound effects and that, but you know, it, I, wasn't, I wasn't perturbed by any of that. They looked and sounded terrific. Really, really enjoyable. Now, you see, the problem is, Chris, that um, I know that all three of us uh, very recently have watched Lawrence of Arabia, um, and that is an absolutely outstanding restoration job that's been done on that, taken from the original original uh, 70 mil, done it 8K, then down res to 4K, and then onto Blu-ray, and it looks astonishing. Yeah. And my problem is, now that, now that I've watched that, I'm thinking, well, I hope when I put these bonds on, I'm not going to be disappointed. <laughs> Because I know it's not going to be up to that standard, but, but no. still, you get spoiled a little bit, and then reality kind of strikes again. Uh, and the same with Jaws. I mean, Jaws was, don't get me wrong, excellent, excellent uh, restoration on that. But it had its problems as well. I mean, the uh, when they go out and find uh, Ben's boat, the night scene, mm. lots of, uh, obviously, the, the stock that they used, lots of grain. And in one shot, the grain was unbelievably bad. And other little instances like that. So I think sometimes we get a little bit spoiled with a restoration is done really well, and, and like I say, launch of Arabia was absolutely yeah, fantastic. It, so it, I'm no, to be fair to Jaws, I mean that's just limitation of the original. Of course it is, but but, but I mean, what I'm saying is, launch Arabia was shot on 65 millimeter. It's a whole different. Yeah, I'm uh, yeah I'm aware of that fact. I'm aware of the techn- technicalities. That wasn't what I was getting at. What I was getting at is that sometimes <laughs> we're a little bit spoiled. Um, like Lawrence of Arabia, and then we expect everything else to come up to that standard, certainly on the forums. Well, that's, if, that's if typical read, of people like us, though, isn't it? And yeah, you if, get the if, diamond like Lawrence, and you think everything should look like that. Given the time and given the effort and given the money to go into it, everything could look the best it ever could be. Yeah. Um, but very few things would come up to the quality of Lawrence simply because of the way it was filmed, yeah. simply because of this, the style it was filming, the visuals that it's got. It's It's... Heaven sends to look spellbinding because every shot was so well crafted. And yeah, you, you're quite right. I mean, I spent pretty much the best part of a week watching that, dipping in and out of it um, each night, writing the, the full review for the site. And I didn't want it to end. When I come home from work, I wanted to put Lawrence on again. A new Bond was on the way, but I thought, well, ah, that's next week. But Lawrence, I, I, and it was hard to make that transition because, again, I, not just the film itself, but as you say, the sheer quality of that, I knew Bond wasn't going to come up to that. Yeah, but Bond never could come up to that. It's just not filmed that way. Yeah, and and the point I was trying to get across is that you know we're going to have loads and loads of posts on the forums where people are going to be disappointed, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the likes of Goldeneye. And I mean, I know you said there that for for probably the majority of people, it's not going to upset them that much, um, but we're still going to have reams and pages of people that that are going to be unhappy so i guess oh, the point God, yeah. i was i guess the they point i was trying to, to make was realistic don't they really because if they wanted the full restoration on every single of those 22 movies it would take years it cost <laughs> and millions. it would have cost and a lot the more than... would not cost 89 pounds when it came out and I we mean, wouldn't have I'd... it right now <laughs> yeah exactly so i guess it's the lesser of two evils yeah yeah it's just one of, it's one of those things you know you <laughs> You've got to be realistic about it. Obviously, we want perfection every time. We're just not going to get that. It's just the nature of the beast. Uh, we've got another major box set coming very, very soon. You know, one of my favorites of all time, the Universal Monsters. Now, 
we know that it's taken time, certainly some of those titles, to really restore them up. And there's been images, at the time of recording this, there's been images floating around of Dracula. And my God, that does look truly astonishing from a film from 1931, for God's sake. But again, they've taken the time and effort to, you know, to restore what is a shining glory of cinema. Not every film is going to get that. And not every film in that Monsters box set will look as good as that either. Certainly films from the later, the later periods, like Creature in Black Lagoon, I can imagine will not look as good because you know it never looked that bad to begin with. So you're not going to see that major an upgrade. Lawrence, you compare that to the uh, the, the old DVD, which again was it was based on a restoration. Uh, that looked tremendous for the, the limitations of DVD. Now you know on Blu-ray where they've really gone to town on it, and you can really see right in there, right up close. You can see the texture of it. You can God, there's almost sand dripping from the screen. It's it's that truly authentically realistic. Um, you know that that blows you away. Bond is a different kettle of fish altogether, and uh, they look—they're all filmed gorgeously. They're sumptuous, lavish movies. Photography is excellent. The whole thing looks looks terrific, but they're films that don't quite—they're not cinematic spectacle in the way that Lawrence was, and they're not vintage movies where you're going to see the huge upgrade that the Universal Monsters may well you know deliver. But that said. We're all very, very savvy with the Bond movies. I don't know how many times we've probably all seen them, but you're going to see major, major um, dividends from this. From this, it's a definite you know, high def upgrade, which is worthwhile. But there will be people who are going to think, mm, no, no, that, that bit's not right. I've not seen all of them as yet. I'm presuming all the ones that came out originally on Blu-ray um, are the same transfers. I, I can't imagine otherwise, to be honest. Um, and of the others that have come up for the first time. I just haven't seen the other Brosnan ones, and that's it. Okay, so quality-wise, um, what would you say? A bit of a mixed bag? Ooh, I'd say it was uh, pretty high. The quality's high. You know, it, again, limitations of original film stock and all that, uh, original photography. But by and large, from what I've seen, no, it's, it's great. It's, it's definitely up in the air. <laughs> if we're giving it out of 10, I, I couldn't give a, a definitive score, but I'm saying right now, a good strong eight, you know, pushing nine. Okay, so that's the discs in general. Uh, Chris is the only one out of the three of us that, that's really had a good chance to go through and look at them. Uh, so let's move on to the movies themselves and why we love the movies. And let's go, to, uh, uh, let's go to Steve for this one. And Steve, what is it that you love about Bond? Well, I mean, first of all, um, James Bond was one of the first if not probably, well, certainly the first film I can remember going to see at the cinema, I went to go and see The Man with the Golden Gun in 1975, bizarrely, in, in a double bill with um, The Towering Inferno. But it, so, I mean, I've I, I probably been to the cinema before that, but I don't remember going to the cinema before. I definitely remember going to see The Man with the Golden Gun in 1975. So that was my first cinematic experience, which I think in itself makes it special. Um, and, and also, I, I was probably familiar with Bond from TV broadcasts, but there hadn't been that many, I suspect, by 1975. Um, and I just it just blew me away with the, the, the sheer escapism and the spectacle of it all. You know, as a child, was brilliant. And of course, being uh, you know a kid in the seventies meant that uh, my Bond, you know, my, my my Bond will always be Roger Moore. He may not be the best Bond. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that my Bond is the Roger Moore because yeah. you know I grew up watching The Man with the Golden Gun, Spy Love Me, uh, Moonraker. You know those those were like the big event movies in the sort seventies. Of I've got to agree with you there. I mean, I, I'm from I think sort of the same generation as you Steve and that was Bond for me was uh, was old Rog and it took a, quite, a, quite a while before I, I actually got round to seeing the Connery Bond 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I only saw the Connery Bonds obviously on Christmas Day broadcasts as a kid, and and probably didn't appreciate it because it wasn't because you know, because obviously when you see them on the big screen in the cinema, they're they're, they're such a spectacle, particularly the seventies ones where they built the huge sets, uh, and, you know, they were big widescreen spectacles, and some of the earlier Connery ones weren't shot scope, and they were you know they were sort of more small scale, much lower budget. Until, say, Goldfinger, which I guess set the blueprint for Bond movies after that. But, uh, you know, I saw them on TV, on a small t- four to three TV screen back in the 70s. It was never quite the same impact. So it wasn't until later in life, you know, when I watched all the Bond films in their correct aspect ratios, you know, in, in, in sort of good quality, that you sort of appreciate, you know, Connery's. Uh, I mean, I guess for people from the 60s, he'll be their quintessential Bond. Maybe he still is. I mean, interestingly, from my perspective, the Bond, the actor that plays it closest to the books, I think, is Timothy Dalton. And bizarrely, the best Bond film has the worst Bond in it. So, so mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, for, for me, uh, I mean, Bond's special uh, for m- many reasons. But I guess my personal reason is is that it was my first cinematic experience I remember. Um, and and you know, and it sort of started a love affair with the movies that's gone on you know, leading up to this podcast. So so that's I owe Bond for everything. I mean, for me, Bond was always the gadgets. And it's something that we've lost with uh, with Daniel Craig's uh, reboot a little bit. We've lost Q, although Q does come back oh. in Skyfall. Yeah, Q's uh, making a return, isn't he? Yeah, but that was that was always the fun for me. I always saw them as fun movies. Never, never. There, there was serious messages in there, I suppose, and you could read into into the political situations at the time when when the films came out and so on. They had a a little bit of a mirror to what was going on in, apart from Moonraker. <laughs> like cold. Well, it, it was mirroring, mirroring um, the culture of Star Wars. So yeah. Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that was it. James Bond does Star Wars, wasn't it? But yeah, it was always the gadgets for me. And, and the one abiding memory I have as uh, as a youngster with with James Bond was always the Lotus Esprit. Yeah. For some yeah. reason, that was. Did you have the that, toy? Have yeah, the I had. Toy the, I had the toy, toy with the turned into the submarine and so on. Yeah. And for some yeah. reason, that really burnt into my conscience, and and that's. As soon as you say Bond, for some reason, that's the first image that pops in my head. I think I think when I was ten, that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> that's that, that Lotus Esprit when it turned into a submarine. It was it was just I just loved it. It was just so cool. I so desperately wanted one. And of course, the the other flip of the coin was that the, the, uh, the Roger Moore films were always fun. It was it never took itself too seriously. It was almost it was almost like a parody of what Bond should be. I thought, and, and I thought the late. You know his last couple of films. I thought he was rather turning into a parody of of his Bond. He, he was way oh, he too old. Was, for the yeah. last couple. By his own admission, he was too old. Well, I think for me personally, it's a lot more simple than that. I just want to be Bond, and from a very early age, I was lucky enough to see um, in our famous esteemed Phoenix Cinema in Wallasey, where I could get in for nothing. And at a very early age, I was seeing X-rated movies. It was all wrong, but hey, look how I turned out. And I saw. Diamonds are forever. Every night for like a week, I saw OHMSS every night for a week, and they 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 were put on a, a couple of times a year. And all the Bond movies, you only live twice. So for a long time, you know, I was seeing the Sean Connery ones on TV. I was going the flicks to see the big event movies of the Roger Moore ones. But I already knew Sean Connery from from seeing these reruns from a very very young age, and um, so I, I I knew the difference between the different characters. Although I would still say that Roger Moore was the one that I probably grew up with because I went with all my mates to see them. You know, Spire Love Me, uh, Man with the Golden Gun. 
I didn't see Live and Let Die at the flicks, incidentally, but you know, from that point onwards, from you know, Mamma the Gong going onwards, that they were huge events. You went with all your schoolmates, and it was wonderful stuff. You bought all the toys. That's all you talked about was was Bond. You didn't really recognise the fact that it was tongue in cheek, that it was being a bit silly. It was OTT, as you said before, Phil. It was just sheer big fun escapism. Uh, it was fantasy, but for me, it wasn't the gadgets. It was primarily I wanted to be Bond. I wanted to be the guy that saved the world and got the girls. Even when I was dead young, I understood that implicitly. So not the gadgets, the girls, the guns, the fights. <laughs> and you know, and that still is exactly how I view it now. Um, I'd read the books as well. I, I, well, I, I, got, I got into reading the books and I found the books yeah, incredibly boring compared to the movies, which it's inevitable, I suppose because they're far more, obviously, plot-driven. There's a lot less set pieces in them. Although, you know, a lot of the films are quite surprisingly faithful, especially, <laughs> I'll say it again, my all-time favourite, the one that everyone hated at the time, but it's grown in a big groundswell of critical opinion. It's now viewed as being one of the best, which is OHMSS, of course. Follows the book very, very well. Um, Aunt Lazenby, I thought he was tremendous. You know, you, I'm going to be writing reams about this guy in, a, in, in the full review for this movie, but uh, I remember going to see that at the flicks and sitting there with my mates and thinking, it's the first time we'd seen it. And the beach sequence, you know, this never happened to the other fella. The other fella. And, and, we were like, and we were like, is that him? Is that John Curry? Because we'd only seen like Diamonds Are Forever uh, just, you know, before, you know. And I was like, is, is that him or not? And you really couldn't tell. It's blatantly obvious now. But when you're a kid, you're like, well, maybe it's just the way it's filmed. Maybe he's got a mask on or something. It was really strange. But whoever this guy was, you know, I thought that film blew me away. I was genuinely moved by it. And I, I still am now. Uh, it's the one I always had here. Daniel Craig shows streaks of vulnerability and indecision, makes mistakes. That's great. We'll come on to Craig later because Craig is a very tough act to follow. He's tremendous in the role. You know, he is in many ways is the quintessential James Bond for a modern era, yeah, but you've got to move with the times. Dalton was fantastic, deadly serious, could not deliver the uh, the one-liners, looked very uncomfortable and didn't sound right delivering you know quips and things, but looked the part, acted the part, and had a rugged edge of brutality. He was also you've got to remember this. Uh, this was a post-AIDS um, environment. So he wasn't bedding every wench that he that he came across. <laughs> Should have reworded that one. And, or smoking. Um, or smoking, yeah. So you you, you change. Obviously, the films change with the the, the the times. Maybe not so, you know, world political climate, but you know, social climate is where it seemed to tie in. Uh, Roger Moore, lounge lizard, great fun. The eyebrows. It was never taken seriously. He was he, that guy. Could not be a secret agent for God's sake. Yeah, Ladies saving and, the world of safari yeah, suit. It just couldn't happen, could it? But that's <laughs> that's part and parcel of, of that era. It was the disco era. It was flamboyant. It was excessive. It was silly, but great, great fun at the same time. Connery was always going to be the uber cool guy. Again, looked the part. I mean, he set the benchmark, didn't he? Um, he was athletic. Yes, he even influenced the books. Because yeah. some of the stuff that uh, Fleming put in after Connery took the role, things like being Scottish and... That kind yeah. of stuff was directly related to the fact he was so impressed. Ultimately, although he wasn't happy about he, him he being cast originally, was he, no? ultimately <laughs> realised that Connery was great um, because he, he just owned the role in terms of playing it cool, uh, deadly, um, you know, re really suave, but also also a cold killer. Which is suave with a sense of humour, but also yeah. savage when need be. 
uh, and a devout womanizer. And th- these are great, great qualities, which I really admire. What, what a role model. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've tried to live along those lines. Misogynistic just, killer. Just, just, just don't tell the missus. You know? and, um, and then Lazenby, again, I'm going to keep coming back to this because I can't help myself. Lazenby stepped in there. Nobody knew what they were going to get with this guy. So what are we going to do? We're going to try and change things here, but we want to keep the audience together. So they put those little in-jokes in there, the janitor humming Goldfinger's main theme, the briefcase from, from Mushroom in Love, um, Honey Rider's knife and uh, Dr. No, other little bits and bobs you know, around, around the place. But he, he did do some different stuff to identify himself as being, you know, to, to distinguish himself from what had gone before. The bit where he's looking at the, uh, the Playboy magazine, quite openly walking down the corridor with other people, looking at the centerfold, smiles, puts it in his pocket. You know, there's a, a, an uber confidence with this guy, which, let's face it, he was a model. That's, he hadn't done anything. I know Connery had been a model before, um, but the guy had, had also been in movies. Lazenby was a completely unknown quantity when it came to acting. I, I think that's one of the reasons why I imagine Secret Service is so good as a film, is because they were very nervous of the fact they didn't have Connery anymore. Um, he was so synonymous with the role by that time uh, and one of the biggest stars in the world. They had this complete unknown taking over as James Bond. So the film had to be good because if he couldn't carry it, they needed a good film. And it's the only Bond film that is actually a film. I mean, all yeah, the other Bond films are Bond films by their very nature. They're Bond films. Well, imagine Secret Service is a genuinely good movie. A it really has a great story, a proper story. With a genuine story and a proper character arc for Bond. Who yeah. becomes a human being in that film when he really isn't in most of the others? He's just an archetype. It's just so yeah, exactly. Even Blofeld has a character. He, he's trying yeah, to yeah, find he's his lineage. Too. He's got yeah. a great actor playing him. Yeah. So that, yeah. action scenes are tremendous. Uh, this is the precursor for the Jason Bourne style fast cutting, uh, you know, super editing on the uh, in your face sort of battle sequences, uh, because they were cutting frames out and speeding things up. They they did put some over elaborate sound effects on it, which really did you know hammer home the fact that someone was chopping down a tree in the background, and that was meant to be someone getting taking a punch on the chin. But uh, they but were so brutal. Christopher Nolan deliberately apes that visual style in uh, in Inception. The whole the whole snowbat yeah. sequence is influenced. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Service. There's a few clunky one-liners. He had lots of guts. There's some, there's yeah, some really good is... one-liners, though, like uh, a little stiffness coming on. Oh, that <laughs> is tremendous, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it's, it's, it's brilliant, brilliant stuff. The innuendo. The double, again, the double entendres are superb. So Some great women in it. You know, Diana Rigg. And oh, we've, got, we've got to go on to Judge the Judge Renner Lumley's uh, in, in the Manchester yeah. Secret Service, actually. So, so I guess to answer your question, Phil, <laughs> what was the question again? Why, <laughs> what, what got us into Bond? <laughs> Well, it's, inter- it's interesting. It. It's interesting that you mentioned every Bond bar one in that roundup. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, did we not mention? Yeah, yeah, you didn't even mention Brosnan. I've got to say, well, oh, you didn't I, give us time. I was going to come on to that. <laughs> I've got to say, I think he, for me, was the most disappointing of of all the Bonds. I don't, and, and it's because it, it was popular at the time. But I think that the films were really bad as well. I mean, the, you know, the whole two cars chasing on the ice with the ice palace and then he's surfing and then it's it was just absolute bucks and it was just cgi heavy that, that, I, think that, that almost, I don't think he was bad but you're right phil he was let down by some very poor movies particularly die another day which i think is by far and away the worst Bond film of them all you, you could tell yeah. phil really meant that as well because we strive not to swear on these things although the temptation is really there but he just come right out with it yeah well sorry i mean that that one film almost put me off bond uh and then when you know daniel craig was announced and they were going to reboot it and stuff i was really worried because i thought they're going to ruin this after after what brosnan went through with those 
three films, and there were bad films. There was, well, there's Golden not Eye was good, quite good. Uh, well, Golden no. Eye was yeah. a good film. It had a good villain in Sean Bean, 006. You know, it was his equal. So I, I thought that Martin Campbell did a good job directing that, who also made Casino Royale. So I think he's restarted Bond twice successfully. But unfortunately, after Golden Eye, they didn't. They did go downhill pretty quickly. They had, you know, really insipid villains and 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 oh. stupid plots. A lousy main villain in Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, lousy, you know, Carver, the, the yeah. me- media mogul, awful. Rupert Murdoch's hench- the villain. Yeah, <laughs> his henchman was quite good. And uh, what's his name? R- Rupert Chevalier or something, who played the, uh, the, the, the the torturing professor come assassin. You know, but Mr. Bond, I could shoot you from Stuttgart and still make it look like a suicide. There was great little moments in it uh, and great fight sequences as well. I quite enjoyed the second, second Brosnan movie. Well, it's not enough. was bloody awful. I thought that was absolute. It had a joke in it. Garbage. You see coming as soon as you oh. realise the name was Christmas Jones. Yeah, and you like, just like ruined I could see, it. I could see the joke coming. <laughs> well, it's just so obvious. I saw it coming from fifty-six miles away. You know, like, here Denise Richards is a nuclear scientist. I'll get <laughs> I mean, even in the fantasy world of Bond, for God's sake, it was just ridiculous, wasn't it? Um, because uh, because Brosnan tried to bring some reality into it as well. Initially, the fights were were, were brutal. Um, you got more understanding of how MI6 operated. You know, it wasn't just, you know, set him loose and he'll save the world. And, you know, as flamboyant as the earlier movies have been, or as that. Gent was good as them. And, and they brought a sort of, a sort, they sort of brought some self realization to it that, you know, yes, Bond was a bit of a dinosaur and a man out of his, after the fall of the Iron Curtain, a man mm-hmm. out of his time, you know, and was a misogynistic dinosaur. But, I mean, one of the things which, you know, Q, Q department, Q branch, uh, Desmond Llewellyn, awesome, um, but you know, struggle with his lines. And as much as I love those sequences, they're kind of preposterous at the same time because I've just looked at a bit of Goldeneye now, and I, you know, quite clearly, and it's, it's fun as well. Brosnan always said he struggled with any scene with with, um, with Q because he just wanted to laugh the whole time. You can plainly see that. And now that I don't mind that so much, but this is meant to be a serious MI6 department. And, uh, but <laughs> you, you go in that room, there's, pe- there's assistants getting blown around the place with explosives, there's chairs exploding, everything's happening. Where's the safety in that room? At, le- at least come- they gave, yeah, no, no safety. At least they gave him a <laughs> Just, good uh, parting line, though, when he, before he died. Yeah. When he's going he down the lift, he says, always have an escape route, never let them see you bleed. And he gets to do a fair bit in License to Kill as well. You know, he's, he's got a much bigger, bigger role in that. And in what's the other one? What is the other one? He's got an extended role. Is it You and Live Twice? He journeys out with it. And I can't remember yeah, now. I think he does in that one. Because normally he's just consigned to the uh, the office, basically, isn't he? But uh, he's a he's a great character. I've, I've got a question since Phil's brought it up, which is the whole concept of a Daniel Craig movies rebooting Bond and therefore chucking away fifty years of history. I mean, <laughs> does anyone think that's valid? Sacrilege? No. Or, or, or how about this for an idea then? Watch Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace first. They're the beginning of Bond. And then watch Doctor No onwards because you, know, you could look at it as being his first missions. Well, you could do, but you, you've got the whole naval commander thing which, doesn't, which won't fit in because even though they haven't come out and said it, but, they knew, but we all know it, Daniel Craig's Bond is XSAS. And I kind of wish they'd had that original title sequence in where they were going to show images from his, um, his SAS career which would have given you a background to the guy, but then they changed it. Oh, we don't need that. You can kind of pick up what he is. Because Vesper Lynn says, hey, types like you, XSAS types like you, with easy smiles and expensive watches, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, so, but the previous Bond was all, and, and, and 
Roger Moore even had this. Dalton certainly had it. Uh, Lazenby and Connery, you know, they all could have passed for a naval officer. You know, when you see them in their in their full naval uniform, and even when, <laughs> and it's a great image, I've got to say, Roger Moore on the jet skis riding towards Stromberg's Atlantis, you know, octopus thing on a jet ski, but in his full naval, you know, <laughs> admiral's uniform. It is brilliant. I remember as a kid, I thought that was just, again, you've got the gadgets there for Phil and you've got the macho, iconic look. It's just, get in there. It's just brazen. I love it. Like, like the ski jump at the start and it's a Union Jack. The bloody spy would not have a Union Jack parachute, would he? A spy would not be dressed in <laughs> bright honest, yellow James red. Bond's the world's worst spy. I mean, everyone knows who he is. He walks exactly. in and introduces himself by his real name. Goes goes everywhere by his real name. Exactly. Except, except, I've got to remember this. Um, back to uh, George Lazenby. For a huge part of that movie, he's playing somebody else. You yeah, don't get that in guy. any other Bond movie. He's playing Sir Hilary Bray. Obviously, it's not Lazenby's voice, but and he's, but he's doing it really well. It's a it's a great sequence in that a long sequence of that movie where he's in, you know, under deep cover. Obviously, you know, <laughs> he gets sussed quite quite obviously. But uh, you know, it, that that's a great facet which doesn't get explored very much in any of the movies. You do have, you do have uh, uh, Sean Connery playing the world's least convincing Japanese guy, and you only and hey, hey, oh, Steve, <laughs> why the hell? When they're going to raid that place anyway, and you know, just all guns blazing, chucking for stars. Why has he got to become Japanese to do it? Why are they going to be training <laughs> to be a ninja? He's a bloody secret agent who's killed hundreds of other henchmen around the world. Oh no, 007, you you, you must become he's, Japanese. He's, he's, in Japan, he was called Mister Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is where the so- song title comes from. Ah, oh, there's something else for sure that is. Oh God, um, Sensei Bond, or what the hell is it? Oh, bon, bonsa. Oh. Bonsan. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. You must become Japanese. Yeah, why? <laughs> you must take a what? Why? <laughs> You're just going to go there and blow up the whole place up anyway. What difference does a subterfuge make on a magic secret service? There's a very good reason for it. You know, but in, in <laughs> and I love you in this twice, but it, it is preposterous. And he looks bloody awful, doesn't he? You know that. He's got Colin Farrow's eyebrows, hasn't he, in that sequence when he becomes the uh, ninja? <laughs> so, Phil, Phil, what's your um, favourite Bond theme tune? Now, this is really difficult, but I've got to say um, Live and Let Die, just because I think it's a fantastic song. That or, I mean, you've, you've got the, you've got Shirley Bassey. And you can keep her. Um, who, who, will, who will always be associated with Bond and... That will always be on people's top ten. But I've got to say, I think Live and Let Die, just because it's a great song, that one. <laughs> live um, and let, live when and... I was younger, my favourite Bond theme, and this was because it was a... I thought he was going to start singing Live and Let Die then. <laughs> well, Phil, it's, not, it's not the opening line. Oh, yeah, it's actually... <laughs> World with an open book. No, when I, when I was young... <laughs> and you opened a Blu-ray book. There you go. We're getting there. No, um, I was a, I was a big Duran Duran fan, so I really loved you to a kill because yeah. uh, it's a great theme tune. And, and it I is a big, great, great theme. Have, have, obviously, now I'm a bit older and more mature. Hopefully, uh, I appreciate that Bassie did some of the best stuff with, with certainly with Goldfinger. Which let's be honest, Goldfinger, everything about Goldfinger sets the the the, 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 the template for every other Bond film that came after it. Uh, and I think she's she's a big pretty power big. ballad. Yeah, yeah, but I. 
also no one could knock him out like Bassi can. So uh, certainly her doing Goldfinger Diamonds Are Forever Moonraker. She also did Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which I think yeah. is at the end credits of your list twice. Yeah. Um, great. Uh, I really like, it's not actually at the beginning of the film, but if you listen to Katie Lang's Surrender, which is yeah. at the end. Which should have been the title track, shouldn't it? should have been the title track. Yeah, she does I know. a brilliant Bassi. It's absolutely That's, super. They really cocked up with that one. Yeah, I don't know why they did show you show a crow. I uh, I love um, uh, is it Chris Cornell? Yeah, uh, uh, you, you know, know my name. Brilliant, brilliant song that for is Fabulous, for isn't it? Yeah, really yeah. gets you going that one. And obviously, all the time in the world is absolutely <laughs> superb as well. <laughs> Although it's not at the beginning of the film. No, you see, that was the film that broke the um, the trend. John Barry didn't put a title song at the start because the, well, no, they, they they use the music plus uh, yeah, it's, it's an orchestral rock driven thing. Yeah. Um, very propulsive yeah and that 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 changed the, well that, that was but the film again is different from all the rest of them because of that fact but the song which is forever associated with that movie um plays throughout the movie in various different guises and certainly becomes the lifeblood of it and is a deeply deeply moving song absolutely tremendous and i would say it's possibly my favorite song but my favorite piece of music from bond is the track 007 which I think I've said this before, but that is going to be playing at my funeral. It's only in five movies. It's in um, From Much of Love, but you hit it at its best. It's in um, Thunderball. It's in You Only Live Twice during the Little Nelly sequence. And it's in Diamonds Are Forever in a rather naff version during the equally naff oil rig helicopter finale. And it's also in a very lush orchestral version um, in Moonraker during a speedboat chase. But I absolutely adore that. There's been times in this house where that has played for almost 24 hours nonstop. And my neighbours must have gone absolutely out of their minds with it. But I'm addicted to it. And as I say, when I die, when I die, if I die, that'll be playing at my funeral. And then I'll get buried at sea and then I'll, I'll be cut out by scuba divers and I'll have my rear admiral's uniform on. <laughs> That's a reference there. That's a you, reference. <laughs> you, you worry me. You really do worry me. <laughs> But the thing, well, and of well, course, we've got Adele, one of the one of the, the worst. Is it, is it going to be secrets. Adele doing Skyfall? It's the worst kept secret so far, mate. Yeah, she's doing it. I think um, her site's confirmed it, haven't they? Uh, but the Bond site hasn't as yet. But it's pretty much. It was supposed you know, to be Amy Winehouse, wasn't it, on um, Quantum of Solace? Yeah. Well, there we go. And in fact, Quantum of Solace has got the, one of the worst title songs, anyway. Uh, actually, I thought that at the time, but it's kind of grown on me. My. Sp- Sorry, I've just choked on you. I could hear the beer going down there. <laughs> Do you know what? It, it, it went down You're swigging beer with Chris and, and uh, Phil puffing on fags. I'm feeling a bit left out. And swearing. But I, I took a swig of that beer and it, it came up back out through my nose. <laughs> I don't know why that, how or why that happened. But um, what was I going to say? <laughs> I, I think we're a bit lost now. So I, actually, after you've named some of those those ones between the two of you there, um, there's... There has been some absolutely brilliant theme the tracks. The Living Daylights. Yeah, that's that's another great one. Actually. I yeah. like that too. Yeah. All, and don't forget All Time High from the otherwise naff um, Octopussy. But what a beautiful song uh, that is. Yeah. yeah. Also, that's another pub, you know, pub quiz question, which is which Bond songs don't have the title of the film in the title of the song? And it's All well, Time High. <laughs> and um, nobody does it better. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, it is in there. Oh yeah, no. The, the title song is in the, the lyrics. Spy that loved in me. The title. It is in yeah, there. It's in the lyrics, but not in the title of the song. Whereas all time highs doesn't have anything to do with Octopussy at all, or the, the mention there. Yeah, the title. good point. And, 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 and who, who was it that did that? Was that Carly Simon? Was it? 
yeah, yeah, yeah. David Burt Bacharach. Yeah. Nancy, Nancy Sinatra, who did uh, You Only Live Twice, that's a, that's a beautiful song as well. And of course, massively pastiched by, um, oh, God. Williams, you saw yeah. I can't remember his name then. <laughs> In a very, uh, yeah, got very Tom Tom Jones, video. Tom Jones on Thunderball. How is that yeah. just one explode like a Thunderball anyway? <laughs> well, they struggled with that, didn't they? Because John Barry couldn't work out what, what is a Thunderball. It, it, well, it was slightly homoerotic, frankly, if I was going to work it, out. Yeah. <laughs> And he strikes. Why you like? Da, 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 da. Like, I'm not going to do that notes, mate. Because if Tom Jones passed out delivering that notes, I am not going to even attempt it. Some some of the lyrics are spectacularly uh, uh, dodgy, actually. Yeah. So yeah, uh, you should listen that, to the "Man with the Golden then. Gun" by Lulu. There's some outrageous double entendres in there. I like He's that song. He's got a powerful weapon. Weapon. He charges a million a shot. <laughs> that's that's exactly the way it should be, though. It's it's innuendo laden. And of course, that's that's for the, the most perfect of the innuendo laden bonds, which is you know um, more. Okay, guys, to wrap up uh, on this podcast extra, because um, I'm actually dying to get in the cinema room and start watching these. Uh, what is your quintessential Bond, Steve? Well, I think I've already. I get, actually, I, do you know what I'm going to say? It's going for me. It's going to be a spy love me, because um, I could say Goldfinger, because that's the kind of one that's at the template. But it's spy love me. 1977. You know, I was ten. It was. It was my Bond, Roger Moore. It was the first one I went. To, was excited to go and see because obviously I'd seen one before that, and then you know was waiting for it to come out and getting reading about it in, the, in magazines and stuff, uh, and it didn't disappoint in any way, shape, or form. It had you know a great opening set, set sequence at the beginning with the uh, parachute <laughs> jump. I mean, ludicrous though it is, it's still fantastic. Makes you feel proudly British. Great credit sequence with Roger Moore jumping around on the trampoline. Not <laughs> uh, <lots of> naked, <laughs> naked chicks in so the Morris Finder sequence. You can't go wrong there. Great song. Uh, big supervillain, you know, swallowing some nuclear submarines with with, with a gigantic um, uh, oil tanker. Um, yeah, it just as uh, the, the submarine car, you know, the Lotus, the Lotus Esprit. Uh, it had everything that you would possibly want in a Bond film, and I absolutely loved it. So that would be my my quintessential Bond movie. You see, I'm going to be controversial here, because yes, I would agree with you in normal circumstances, Steve, because. Uh, like I said earlier, we're kind of the same generation and I remember going to the cinema to see that one and like we said earlier, you know, the, the, the Lotus and so on, that's that's burnt into my brain, but I'm going to be controversial and say, I quite like Casino Royale and I like the modern Bond, I like Daniel Craig's Bond I think what I'm trying to say here is that uh, the Connery movies were good, the, the Moore movies were funny and a uh, bit of escapism and over the top and silly at times, and I enjoy that and I, and I like that. But as a as a proper movie and without going to Lazenby because we're not right. allowed to, according to Steve, I've got to say, <laughs> for me, I think Daniel Craig is Bond for me. I can't argue with that. Casino Royale, revisionist reboot, but call it what you want. It was dynamic, fast, original. Uh, we followed the book, but it was also updated quite a hell of a lot. You had emotion, you had brutality. It was the bond for the modern age. It was the bond for people who watched the Bourne movies and watched, you know, uh, Arnie I and Sly. And agree with you, Chris. But there's one big problem with Casino Royale, which is it's followed up immediately by Quantum of Solace, which is awful. So because they kind of like you can, you can dismiss that. that. You, you can it literally that. ends yeah. straight into Quantum of Solace. The Quantum of Solace isn't very good. Yeah, but the thing is, Casino Royale can end where it ends. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, and it's still a good. It, it's still it's a interesting good movie. that Skyfall has nothing to do with Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. Well, they realised where the limitations were, didn't they? Well, the were whole they... the whole organisation, that Quantum, is all gone. It's basically I... Skyfall could be. Do you not think they're going to come back to it at some point, though? 
I, I think that um, quantum is a good idea. The, the, that world um, subversive, you know, spectre-like class. Great name, quantum as well. Um, I think they could be turned to that. Obviously, give it a bit more time. Uh, Craig signed in for two more, I do believe. So you know, it, it can no, go. Don't get me wrong. I've seen the trailer for Skyfall. I can't wait. It looks fantastic. Skyfall looks tremendous. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Amazing. Uh, it, you know, that could well be the they have could well be the definitive Bond because the, 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 you've got a very very um, classy uh, director. You've got a great script. Apparently, you've got it's harking back to Goldfinger and the vintage era. Um, it's got a lot of class to it, and it's got some, from what I've seen, some really blistering action sequences too. And we know that Daniel Craig is is fantastic as a character. Um, but my favourite Bond, like all the you're asking quintessential Bond, quintessential Bond is quite simply Goldfinger. It is. It's set the template. It's the obvious answer, I know, but the film's enjoyable. It's got a great villain. It's got a great script. It's got great locations. It's just a tremendous movie. Um, but my favourite is, without a doubt, <laughs> I've said it before, and I'm saying it again, folks, OHMSS is just a gorgeous piece of work. It has heart, it has soul, it has brutality as well. It has an unusual bond because he you know, he follows a character arc, he falls in love, he loses his wife in, a, in the most tragic and horrific of circumstances. And you can see where the character would change from that point onwards uh, throughout the rest of the series, whether Lazen be carried on or not. If you view him as a character the Bond character himself throughout the entire series, that is a pivotal moment. It's also worth mentioning that Casino Royale, uh, he falls in love with Vesper Lind and he gets, you know, he gets burned badly. And in the books, that's what changes him quite considerably into the, the ruthless, cold-hearted, womanising, I don't give a toss about anyone else. I'll get the job done and I'll use anybody, anything to do it. And I'll have fun doing so. Um, that's where the template came from. But filmically, until we had Casino Royale only recently, um, which MSS was the one that set the record for this is why Bond is the way he is. This you've got to understand, you know, he, he had this uber confidence beforehand. He was this renegade, well, not renegade, but you know, he did, he did things his own way. And suddenly he got changed, coerced, fell in love, and lost her. It, it's a great, great story. Um, so for me, that's my favorite. Um, but you know, Casino Royale is <laughs> tr- a truly awesome movie. <laughs> It had everything, stunts, action, lovely girls, you know, and, and Craig is just magnificent. Because you, you, you've got to understand that the scripts are, are, are better. You know, they're, they're more consistent. There's more nuance to it. They're not playing to the, um, you know, we know who this guy is. He can just flip a one-liner in. You've got a bit of, you know, depth and layers to the character now and a sense of humour, which which is realistic. Look at the bit in Casino Royale where he's recovering from his um, his ball whacking, and uh, the guy comes up with the uh, that 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 safe, that computerized um, you know transfer thing, and he says like, didn't you bring any roses or didn't you bring any chocolates? And the guy goes, no, I didn't. And there's a ridiculous little gaily sort of laugh, and Daniel Craig just turns away with a really bemused, almost improvisational smile on his face, and it just made him all the more realistic, you know. And he, so that's why. Daniel Craig perhaps could well be the best Bond as we move on into his third outing. I've got to say, I'm really looking forward to Skyfall. I th- I, I, like you say, Steve, I mean, the trailer looks absolutely stunning. So 
One, um, one final thing, though, Chris, because you go about Magic Secret Service so much. I do like the beginning <laughs> of uh, your, uh, For Your Eyes Only, where they reference on the Magic mm. Secret Service, where he, at the, at the grave of his wife, and it has on it, exactly. we, have, yeah. we had all the time in the world. And then he, he Blofeld turns up in a, in a neck brace, he breaks his neck in the Magic Secret <laughs> Service. Although they can't call him that for legal reasons. He then probably picks him up with a helicopter. He's in a and wheelchair. And drops him down a chimney. Yeah, he drops him down a chimney in the Year of the Disabled. Brilliant. Nice one, guys. <laughs> Seriously. I didn't yeah. realize that. It was the year of the same, but they dropped a guy in a wheelchair down a chimney. So there you go. <laughs> oh, what were we saying before? They were so, you know, socio, socio-politically aware. <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't think they ever were, you know. That's not they true. They kind no. of always avoided the real Cold War. It was always about oh, supervillains. Uh, or spectral or stuff that didn't wasn't real world at all. And no, never, that, Bond never that, really that, existed in the real world of, of, no, that, of the Cold War. That's why socio-political. It's it's the, the the cultural thing more than the world yeah. politics, the yeah. world map, and all that. It, it's a fantastical realm that he exists in. Although obviously now they're trying to because they brought Daytons into it, didn't they? For your eyes only. It's fact, Spy yeah. I love me. You know because he actually referenced Daytons in that. But obviously, the Peter Glasnost then came in, and you know, obviously, Fiora is only they joined together, didn't they? Well, they joined together. Spy, I love me. <laughs> so even then, in the in the seventies, always in one. <laughs> yeah. She was a very poor actress, though, wasn't she, Barbara Bach? Yeah, but she was quite fit. Oh God, yeah. But Caroline Monroe. Can't believe, she, mar- can't believe she married that big nose. Ringo Starr. Yeah, peace and love, peace and love. Oh, actually, sorry. One last question then. Favorite Bond girl. Ooh. Well, again, temptation would go with Pussy Galore, but you know, best, no, no best, best, in, best name, definitely the best name for a character ever in yeah. anything ever. Yeah, <laughs> how they got away with calling someone Pussy Galore? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm plenty, plenty you tool. Named after your father, no doubt. Named after your father, no doubt. Oh <laughs> uh, well, God, that's a good question. You see, again, oh, stuck record, Diana Rig. Is a, is a major character and changed Bond, but she's not a great character in the movie. And she's not, you know, you miss her when she gets killed because you see the effect it has on Bond, but you don't really give too much of a toss, I don't think. Um, well, Vesper Lind was tremendous in Casino Royale. Again, a, a, a multi-dimensional character. Now, you see, I was, I, I was going to go for her because um, she's not just the girl. If you know what I mean, there's actually substance to her, and she's vulnerable. She's getting, she tries to come across as confident when we first meet her, mm. and we think, oh, she's a bit cold. But then, obviously, when she gets wrapped up in what's happening within the hotel, you know, with the uh, the two guys in the in the uh, in the hallway, uh, when yeah. we have the the whole fight there, and then you see her vulnerable side and so on. For for me, I think she's the most rounded. Uh, in terms of char- in more ways than one. In terms of character, Chris, mm. <laughs> I think she's the most rounded of of them all. I think. I'm going to go back to because she was my first Bond girl. I suppose I'll go for Brit Eklund in uh, Man with the Golden Gun. <laughs> she, she's great, isn't she? But she's a complete fool. But that's that's the point of it. That's the point of her character. Yeah, she, she looks good in the bikini. And that's oh, the just back in those days. That was another. That's an- another vastly underrated movie. That I know the body count's not high in it. I know you know. He doesn't well, do had a, a great had deal. a nice strong villain in Chris, Christopher Lee, didn't it? So. It's, it's a great, it's a great fun movie again. You know, there's, there's a bit of an edge too because of the um, the assassination sort of story with you know Scaramanga, but you know you've got the great car chase. You've got you've got some great stuff in that one. It's it's just a good fun film. 
Of course, you've got the, um, what's his name? Sheriff Pepper, Buford T. Oh, Pepper or something. Nick Nick Knack. I love I'll, tell you, I'll tell you stories about Nick Knack after this podcast. Is yeah, finished. I knew you mentioned that because Moore <laughs> mentions it on the uh, the documentaries and the commentary. His line is, he was a little bugger, you know. <laughs> just, he said, he said a lot more than that, I'll tell you. Yeah, I, well, I can imagine. He, he did allude to a fair bit. <laughs> you you name dropper, you. <laughs> I love Caroline Monroe. You know, that's not her voice. Oh, Caroline Monroe's anything will do me. She's just, I've met her. She still looks gorgeous even now, you know. God. Well, I quite, I quite liked uh, Holly Goodhead. Uh, uh, Love Charles. <laughs> Wait, another, another great oh, name. Holly. Sorry, Good. sorry, I forgot. Uh, you want a good, strong female, sexy as well. License to Kill. Carrie Lau. She's absolutely brilliant in that. She does way more than I remembered. That's a film I dismissed for many years, being a, the fool that I am. And um, you know, she, she holds her own. She does fight. She flies a helicopter. She flies a plane. She's, she's brilliant. And she's uber sexy. Everyone goes on about Talisa Soto wearing those revealing dresses with her little sort of, you know, kitten nose and weird, like, lack of chin. Almost like half her face has been chopped off and she is sexy as well. So, <laughs> so you know, take what I'm saying with a huge pinch of salt there. But Carrie Lau, almost every shot, getting out of planes and things. Those thighs, those legs, she's unbelievably sexy. Oh, man. <laughs> well done, Chris. That's why I love Bond. You I want to be Bond. Suddenly, <laughs> yeah. a vision of Emma Bunt suddenly came to be mine then. <laughs> I suppose we've got to finish with one last thing. Best Bond villain. Who's the best Bond villain? Well, there's been no good ones recently. <laughs> no. Jaws. Uh, Jaws is great. Yeah. yeah Jaws well, is great. genuinely he's, terrifying. He wasn't so good in Moonraker where they turn him into like a big sap. Yeah, they do turn into a big sap towards the end, and he comes good, doesn't he? But the bit in the um, the Mardi Gras in um, where are they? Brazil, whatever the hell it is, and they're wearing all the big masks. That scene when I was a kid scared the hell out of me, and it still does now. It still you know he comes down the alley with the great big paper mache head on the big bow selector head, but you know it's him. Takes the head off and leans the oh man with them shiny teeth. That really did send the shivers up and down my spine. That I like Moonraker apart from the silly laser frenzy at the end but you know oh, oh, America's got like a fleet of you know space marines <laughs> produces all these where the heck do they come from <laughs> but you I, know I, I'm going to go with Goldfinger I think I think he's the quintessential Bond villain big plans you know stealing all the gold and Fort Knox or radiating it at least uh, yeah. monologuing and trying to kill Bond in really elaborate ways rather than just shooting him in the head uh, yeah. monologuing didn't seem stupid at the time and even watch it now because you're giving up with a laser <laughs> a, bit, a big laser vasectomy yeah. <laughs> but yeah I think he set the template well as did the whole film but, but Goldfinger I think was yeah, the, the, the the villain with worldwide schemes of domination and um, yeah. and basically like the sound well, of his own voice Blofeld is a tremendous character and possibly the greatest Bond villain in the series certainly the, the most the most longevity but and you've had three great characters portraying him, Charles Gray, um, Donald Pleasance, and obviously Terry Savalas. But, yeah, I think Goldfinger, because, you know, they've had different movies, and uh, Donald Pleasance, as great as he is, he's not very intimidating, and he's, 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 he's set up with that scar and the cat and the grey suit. You know, it's almost, when you watch that now, you just know it's something Austin Powers... This is set for you. Well, that's it. Now We're going to give you the best caricature of a villain. There you go. Use him. Uh, it, it, it's comical to look back on it now. 
Well, you see, this, f- was, this was a point I was going to come on to just to wrap up the whole thing. Uh, and that's that obviously Bond has, has moved over into pop culture um, because it's 50 odd years. There's, there's always been send ups. And, and I was going to say, you know, what are our favourite references to Bond in other movies or in TV or radio and so on? And I guess you sort of hit the nail on the head there with the Austin Powers thing. You know, that was the 60s Bond lifestyle with Dr. Evil, who was obviously you know, based on the best Bond villain and so on. So yeah. um, are there any other sort of crossovers, well, pop culture you James Coburn with In Like Flynn, haven't you? Or Arman oh, no, no. Flynn, yeah. More an attempt to try and copy the style, wasn't it, rather than an actual pastiche. But it was clearly modelled on, it, it took off. Yeah, no, it was clearly thing. taking Bond as, as a template and trying to create their own American, basically it was an attempt to, it's like the monkeys, it was a t- an American attempt to copy something that was quintessentially English. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, although they are quite enjoyable films, I do like James Coburn. But uh, yeah, I, I've got well, to say that, that Bond was so co- comic in its own sense and so camp at times that it almost, you know, it almost <laughs> transcends parody, doesn't it? It didn't need anyone respects. else to take it yeah, off. It didn't it need anyone else it, to do it. It was doing it itself. Roger Moore spent six films taking the video <laughs> out of James Bond, frankly. Oh. So I can't, I can't think of an answer to that question, <laughs> Phil, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, I guess it, I mean, it turns up in everything. I mean, you, you just have to hear the, the, the opening bars of the theme, the theme, don't you? And, you know, everybody knows who James Bond is and so on. And so they should after 50 years of uh, being on the big screen, being on the TV every Christmas. And the, and the Olympics opening ceremony, of course. Oh, yeah. Well, let's and hope. it's getting its own channel. Well, I was just going to come on to that because one of the best bits of editing that I have seen recently was the trailer for the Sky Channel, uh, the Bond Channel that's going to start in October um, I'm trying to remember what day in October, I think it's 4th of October it launches and no, I heard about this, be a, a channel this just dedicated to Bond, just, yeah. just dedicated to Bond, so all 22 films, the films on rotation. Yeah, yeah, just on rotation, yeah, but they, they've been doing a trail um, for the last few weeks now and it's every car chase and every Bond film with every Bond um, and the I've way not seen it, but I've heard about this. Oh, the way Where? the way it's edited together and so on. It's uh, I mean, hats off to the guy who who's obviously sat and spent most of his life for the last six months <laughs> putting it together, because it is. Can it, you see it? It's on YouTube. Uh, I think you might find it on YouTube, um, but it is absolutely brilliant. It really is good, and if you're a Bond fan, um, you have to see it because everyone's in it. Every Bond car is in it, and it's just one continual chase, um, and it's. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I've been told about it and told to look out for it, but you've got <laughs> yeah, the Bond channel point. for all the people who couldn't afford to buy this ridiculously cheap box set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, it's interesting that, that they've been given the license to do it and it they, is, are, yeah. they are going to do it. And, license um, to kill! <laughs> of course, all of them in HD as well, so um, it's an HD channel, so they're all in high definition. So, Oh my uh, God, though, that's going to set the cat amongst the pigeons, isn't it? If Goldeneye looks better on that. <laughs> oh dear <laughs> anyway that's it we've run out of time on uh, tonight's podcast extra um, we've discussed um, well we could have gone on for hours discussing Bond but I think we've we've kind of covered the main bits um, if you haven't got the box set yet I guess what we're saying to people is go if you're a Bond fan in any any way whatsoever um, go and get this box set it is an absolute bargain 22 discs 90 but 90 quid you can't argue with that in some places doing it cheaper than that as well and um i can't wait to sit down and and actually go through all 22 and i'm gonna do it um <laughs> even if it kills me and it takes me to this time next year <laughs> <laughs> just because of the, 
the, my workflow and everything else that I've got to do in my workload, I'm going to make a point. I'm going to actually try and watch them all back to back. Um, there are there are some lesser quality movies amongst the franchise. We all know that, but even those have got moments of real good value in them. And it's just you've got the atmosphere. No matter who's playing Bond, no matter who the villain is, or how ridiculous the story is, you're still going to get swept along with it. It is. It is Bond. It's a phenomenon. It's an icon, and you know we're smitten by it. And it gives us hope as well. It gives us hope. Roger Moore, no matter how old he got, and he was still bagging the babes. It's almost like watching on the buses or a Carry On movie, because you know Sid James copping off with young bits and bobs. You know, it's never going to happen, is it? Roger Moore, actually, actually, Roger Moore probably would get off with somebody's women. (laughs) Yeah, no, you would. Uh, someone said that uh, Daniel Craig does more running in the first 10 minutes of Casino Royale than Roger Moore did in six movies. That's got to be true. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be true, that hasn't it? He he never broke a sweat, saving England. (laughs) Well, that's it for us this evening. Uh, Thanks to Chris and Steve. Thanks very much, guys. It's been great. And this is Phil Hinton saying thanks very much for listening. We'll see you again soon and go and get your Bond box sets. You know what would have been better? If you'd actually had all three of us doing that theme at the end. <laughs> <laughs> after three. After three, okay, yeah? Yeah. One, two, three. No, you know, what part of after three didn't you understand? <laughs> <laughs> it's like lethal weapon. Do we go what do we go on three or one, two, three, and then go? On three or Right. It's it's okay. It's one, two, three, and then go. Okay, okay. I'll I'll count you in. All right. Oh, oh God! Boom! <laughs> now, two. Is one, it on three or? <laughs> one, two, three, go. This is such a good idea at the time. I think you're better off finishing with the. It still work. It still work. Come on. All right. One last time. Okay. One, two, three, go. Down, I actually waited for him, not to. <laughs> how, how hard could it be? How hard could it be? Okay, okay. This is the way to do it then. I'll count it in, but I'll go one, two, and then when you think I'm going to say three, that's when we start, okay? Okay, let's just try it that way. So, practice run. One, two. Ding, ding, Oh, this oh, is oh, mission aboard. <laughs> oh, this is, this is comic gold. This is it's been what worth the it? whole night just for this what? bit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I cocked that up. One, two. Gotta try and get him tuned up. He's doing army, right? Okay. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.